award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome everybody to Speed Zone. Let me adjust the mic. There was just a, a busy room about five minutes ago if you're tuned in to the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. I'm Ben Cower. Uh, welcome to Speed Zone. we got a busy show this week as always. Lots to talk about. Martinsville weekend had it inspired a lot of storylines. Not a lot of fights, not a lot of contact, but there's still plenty to talk about. We got a full panel once again after we were just down to Dale last week and we got a lot to go over with the schedule this week. Uh, some going on, then plenty to talk about with the last weekend with regards to Flag the Flag. So speaking of Flag the Flag, here at the end of the intro, let's just dive right into it. Let's start out with the Flag to Flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. And a lot did happen this past week, preferably, not preferably, but specifically, that's the word, in NASCAR, starting out with the Truck Series at Martinsville. Through rain tires and slicks, Corey Heim stole the victory late Friday night to earn his first Craftsman Truck Series victory of the season after persevering through both rain and dry conditions, alongside two red flag periods for weather and multiple charges by the highly motivated veteran Kyle Busch, who was looking for his team's Kyle Busch Motorsports' 100th victory in the Truck Series. Heim led his first laps of the 2023 season at exactly the right time, holding the point for an impressive 82 of the 124 laps of the Long John Silver's 200. An accident with 85 laps remaining brought the yellow flag out, and after several circuits under caution, NASCAR brought the trucks to pit road. Excuse me, where the red flag flew for rain and the race was declared official on lap 124 of the scheduled 200 laps. Heim swept both stage wins, his first of the season as well. Zane Smith finished third in his number 38 Ford with T Thor Sport Racing's Ty Majeski uh, finishing fourth and Heim's Tricon Racing teammate, Tricon Garage, excuse me, teammate Tanner Gray rounding out the top five. Ben Rhodes, Matt Benedetto, Taylor Gray, brother of Tanner, and William Swalich and also Chase Purdy completed the top 10. Now on to the Xfinity Series at Martinsville, where John Hunter Nemechek led a dominating 198 of 250 laps to win Saturday night's race, uh, besting his JGR teammate Sammy Smith by one and a half seconds to earn his second NASCAR Xfinity Series victory of the 2023 season and his first win in his first series start at Martinsville. Uh, Nemechek took the lead for good on a race restart with 32 laps remaining after winning the first two stages of the race and he, Smith, and third place finisher Cole, C Cole Custer were easily the class of the field all the way and all night running some version of one, two, and three for most of the race. Smith was able to nudge his way past Custer on the final lap for that runner-up showing. As Nemechek took his number 20 to the front stretch to do a traditional burnout celebration, he literally set the track on fire, perhaps a fitting finale to his hot night behind the wheel. Not only did he win the race, he won the 100K uh, Dash for Cash Incentive Prize awarded by series sponsor Xfinity, where Nemechek, who swept both stages alongside Chandler Smith, Custer, and Josh Berry, they're all now eligible for the next installment of the Dash for Cash 100k award next week at Tal or this weekend at Talladega. Fourth place finisher Barry led the next highest number of laps, 27, but had to rally back through the field 
after an errant pit stop midway through the race, however, uh, to take his seventh consecutive top 10 finish of the year, tying his uh, the longest stretch of his career. And his junior motorsports teammate, Brandon Jones, finished fifth for his first top 10 of the season, uh, followed up by Justin Allgaier, who was battling a stomach bug all night, kept his number seven Chevy in the lead group of cars. Uh, college Racing teammates Daniel Emmerich and Derek Krause, alongside AM Racing's Brett Moffat and colleagues Chandler Smith, rounded out the top 10. Austin Hill, who leads all drivers with three wins this season, finished 16th, and with Nemechek's win, the second-generation driver takes over the points lead by 21 points over Hill. Now on to the Cup Series at Martinsville, where Kyle Larson's Hendrick Motorsports team gambled on a late-race two-tire pit stop to give him a fighting chance for the victory, and he took the opportunity, drove away to a commanding four-second win. It was the 2021 champion's first victory at the paperclip, making the pass for the win in his number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevy with 30 laps remaining, having to hold off another past champion in Joey Logano, whose runner-up finish Sunday was also impressive considering he started at the rear of the field after a post-qualifying adjustment uh, that sent him to the back of the field, albeit with some help from a timely caution, he finished second. Logano was one of four drivers who did not happen to pit on a caution flag with 56 laps remaining, where Anthony Alfredo's tire went flying into the outside wall in turn four, choosing to take track position instead uh, after going a lap, uh, lap down not once but twice earlier in the afternoon. JGR teammates Truex Jr., Martin Truex Jr., and Denny Hamlin finished third and fourth. The first top five finishes for both drivers this season. Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe finished fifth with a broken finger just in front of his teammate Eric Almarola. Stuart Haas was especially strong on Sunday. Three of its four drivers combined to lead 264 of the 400 laps, yet none of them won. Ryan Priest, who started from the pole position for the first time in his career, collected his first stage win, led a race-best 135 laps, but was penalized for speeding on pit road and had to go to the rear of the field and could not quite recover, only recovered to finish 15th. Briscoe led 109 laps, and Kevin Harvick, who claimed his first stage win since 2020 in stage number two, was out front for 20 laps, but a late race issue left him in 20th place. Ryan Blaney was in 7th place, followed by Stenhouse Jr. in 8th, and Bubba Wallace, who also recovered from a pit road speeding penalty to finish 9th. Uh, the note, most noteworthy top 10 finish of the day belonged to Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott, who was making his first start since suffering a broken leg in a snowboarding accident seven weeks ago. With the win, Larson moves to fourth in the championship standings, only 17 points behind leader Christopher Bell, who finished 16th on Sunday. Ross Chastain's in second, five points behind Bell, and he finished 13th at Martinsville. Now on to the Long Beach Grand Prix for IndyCar, and it was the 24-year-old Kyle Kirkwood putting on a masterful performance again in the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, starting from the pole and leading 53 laps en route to his first career victory in the NTT IndyCar Series. The sophomore driver fought off challenges from two-time series champion Joseph Newgarden and held off Andretti Autosport teammate Romain Grosjean in the closing laps to become victorious in IndyCar's big biggest race outside of the Indianapolis 500. Kirkwood is only the fifth driver in history to win the Long Beach event from the pole. The last driver to do so was Alexander Rossi, whom Kirkwood replaced in the number 27 Andretti Honda this season. Kirkwood joins an elite group of drivers to have scored their first IndyCar victory at Long Beach, including team owner Michael Andretti, Paul Tracy, and Juan Pablo Montoya. That's a pretty solid group of drivers to be included with, if you ask me. And in the world of outlaws, the I-55 Outlaws Showdown at Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55 ended up only being a one-night event, and it was Brad Sweet taking the victory in that one event. And in the Southern Modified Tour, the Smart Tour, that is, at the Hickory 100 at Hickory, the winner was Caleb Hetty. So with that, we're going to take a quick break here. I'll catch my breath. And when we come back, my favorite segment of the show, what's up this week? We got a lot to talk about uh, coming up next here on Speed Zone. My name is Tamara Anthony, and this is my American story. I am a St. Louis AmeriCorps member on the education team. I tutor at elementary schools. Her name is Janiah. And when I met her, she was five years old and she knew three letters, J, X, B. 
this kid is wonderful. Her spirit is just, just radiating. She's just awesome. But how did she slip through the cracks? And I just started working with her. And by the end of the year, Janiah was reading like a pro. It is my life's purpose to serve. If you're not helping somebody else, you're doing a huge disservice to the rest of the universe. Every one of us has a role to play in making our communities and our country stronger. Discover yours. Help us continue to make a difference in the life of our nation. Go to serve.gov and find the opportunity that works for you. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service. And welcome back, everybody, to Speed Zone. And it's that time of the week. It's time for What's Up This Week. Oh, yeah, the crowd loves it. You hear them? Everybody's so excited. Everybody's clapping. You know, it's it's everybody's favorite segment because, you know what, they get to find out what the heck's going on this weekend? What's up this week? And uh, let's start out. Friday, the 21st. It's relatively tame, but there's still racing action. Arkham Menard Series practice is going to kick everything off this weekend down at Talladega. That's right. It's Dega week, baby. At 4 p.m., the only practice session at Dega across every series this weekend, might I add. Uh, Xfinity Series qualifying is going to kick right off afterwards at 5.35. And then on to Saturday, or guess I should mention first, Friday night was supposed to be the opening weekend for Ona Speedway this weekend, but was just informed right before the show that this weekend's racing both Friday and Saturday night. If you're a race fan in the nearby area, they've both been rained out, postponed to next weekend. So, uh, again... Uh, every or uh, all the racing at Ona this weekend sadly rained out, but it'll be happening next weekend. Uh, Saturday, we'll go on to Saturday, the twenty second. It's jam-packed with racing action, starting off with Cup Series qualifying bright and early at 10.30 a.m. from Talladega, also in Talladega this weekend, uh, before the Arkham Menard Series faces off in the General Tire 200 at Dega at 12.30 p.m. If the race at Daytona in February was any, I guess, indication of how this race might go, make sure to clear your schedule, tune in for it, because it was a great race at Daytona in February, and hopefully it's a great race on Saturday. The NASCAR Xfinity Series going to take to the track for the AG Pro 300 at 4 p.m. following the ARCA race. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a blast. And then the ARCA Menard Series West is going to visit Kern County Raceway for the NABBA Auto Parts Blue Def 150 late on Saturday night. 11 p.m. here for us on the East Coast, so that'll be a pretty late race. But hey, it's something to tune into late on Saturday night. And then Sunday, the 23rd, is all NASCAR this week. There's no World of Outlaws, no IndyCar, no Formula One. It's all NASCAR with the GEICO 500 from Talladega rolling at 3 p.m. You can listen to that race live on the Motor Racing Network or televised on Fox. So we got a jam-packed weekend, specifically Saturday, it seems to be. <laughs> Everything's happening on Saturday. They got the cup race on Sunday and some practice and qualifying on Friday. And then next week, for anybody in the area, we got some live racing happening at Ona uh, next Friday and Saturday. So make sure to keep an eye on that. So take another quick break here on speed zone and when we come back we got plenty to talk about it's time for the racing roundtable up next here on speed zone Recent studies have shown that diabetes can be prevented, and the results are even greater with my patients over age 60. Losing a small amount of weight by getting some physical activity, 30 minutes, 5 days a week, and eating healthier has proven to be effective. Listen to the great results from one of my patients. I had to learn how to change my way of eating because diabetes ran in my family, and I wanted to take control of it before I got it. Having diabetes in your family and being overweight puts you at a higher risk for type 2 diabetes. These risks increase with age, which is why it is important to take your first step today. There was a time I could not go from my basement up to my bedroom, but now I can, and that means a lot to me. It's not too late to prevent diabetes. Join my patients who are taking small steps and gaining big rewards. For more information on how to prevent type 2 diabetes, call 1-800-438-5383. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the National Diabetes Education Program. 
Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? Yeah, we're back here on Speed Zone. Let me get a little closer to the mic. Sorry, that wasn't a fart. That was me moving the mic. And we're here this week. It's a full panel again. We got Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly back on the show. Welcome back to Speed Zone, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back, baby. <laughs> it's a pleasure having you both on the show. Dale, a little bummed out. You know, you were you were hoping to race this weekend, and then, of course, the rain just had to ruin everything for everybody. As per usual, this is the second year in a row, actually, that um, the first weekend at Ona has been rained out. It's unfortunate, but um, next weekend, uh, hopefully the weather is a little bit better and we can go out and play. Yep, hopefully next weekend. All right. Again, we got a lot to talk about here tonight. Uh, I guess we're going to start out. Uh, hold on. Almost forgot the sound. You know what? They can't, we can't ask a question without a sound. Can't do a topic without a sound. We're going to start out with thoughts on Martinsville. Obviously, Martinsville uh, happened this weekend, the truck race, the Xfinity race, the cup race. Let's start out. Talk a little about Martinsville. What did you guys think of it? Overall, I thought the racing was okay. There were some interesting stage winners with Ryan Priest getting his first stage win, Harvick his first since 2020, and Logano's performance coming up from the back that you mentioned earlier but overall I, th I think the two things that stuck out to me the most was the performance by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. where he got another top 10 and it's continuing this promising start that he's had after these past couple years and I'll mention him more later on as we get deeper into this uh, discussion later on in the broadcast and Chase Elliott as well finishing in the top 10 after almost a month of not racing just getting right back into the swing of things it's it's good to see as a fan and just overall as, as well yeah it was okay um not a whole lot of passing which was unfortunate seems to be the tale of of martinsville these last few years i believe that that is due primarily to the fact that they're shifting and i really dislike the fact that they're shifting yep um those gear ratios yeah no, nobody can get a run on anybody when you're shifting it's just not not possible i hope that they can find a, a fix for that so all right yeah you know i i honestly thought the racing was fine i i thought it was entertaining um to an extent uh but i my big thing was the the truck race man i can't get over that that was a mess of a race uh i remember seeing a statistic where i think it's just about nearly every truck race this season what nearly it's like four out of like think three out of four have uh been nearly like half caution laps 58 out of 124 laps yet uh in the truck race were green flag racing that's it <laughs> that's all there was 58 laps of green flag racing and uh in a race where there were rain tires tag on i could have ran that <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was just i can't get over the truck race you know what let's make it a topic <laughs> Let's specifically talk about the rain tires, as uh, this has been a big development in NASCAR over the last, uh, really, over the last six, seven months, where NASCAR has been, at least at the end of last season, NASCAR was testing out uh, grooved rain tires on short tracks, where now it's implemented across all three series, not just the truck series, that uh, if, it's, if it's wet weather, NASCAR, it's up to NASCAR and race control's decision, but they might potentially race in rain and or wet weather conditions and then obviously uh it happened for the first time on friday night where it was pouring and then nascar was it delayed the beginning of the race and then waited for the rain to stop and then the track was kind of damp and then uh it it brought the trucks out on track and just kept on <laughs> running laps to i guess damp like make the track less damp i guess and then uh they, they actually raced with the grooved rain tires, and the wear was good, and uh, they burnt off pretty quickly, brought them down after, what, 30 laps or so, and after a relatively short run, brought them in, changed them back to slicks, and then it was raining the rest of the night. But, I, I, I guys, I can't get over the fact that they NASCAR ended the race due to rain, and they ran in the same race with, with rain tires. That's what <laughs> the biggest question to me that... 
I thought of after this is what is the point of having rain tires if you're not going to race them in the rain? And I mean, it, it worked for the first couple of laps that that they ran in the beginning and it was funny to hear michael waltrip in lap one say oh the uh the racing on the rain tires is great these drivers are, le- are learning quickly and that was the case for about 20 to 30 laps or so and then all the cautions started coming in and it it turned into how it turned out but i, I get that the track was damp and that's one thing but the whole point of having rain tires, and we've 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 seen it before in road course races. The first one that comes to mind is, I believe, Charlotte on the, on the Charlotte Roval about a year to or two ago. Yes, that 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 is the first one that comes to mind, and it was pouring rain there, and there was actually some pretty good racing there. So if it can be done there, why can't we do the same? In, in Martinsville as well it's 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 ironic that this the whole point of having these rain tires and windshield wi- rain tires and windshield wipers was to still have the race and it still ends <laughs> due to rain yeah it was kind of goofy no doubt about it um, you know mix, mixed reactions from the teams as well as far as expenses go most notably uh, Hill Motorsports was like we spent $2,400 for these and like barely got to use them yeah. it didn't work they were very vocal about it. I think that's also something that yet we have to take into account when considering what's going on with it. But yeah, it's just I, I don't want to say the night was a joke, but it was a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> I just I it just boggles my mind. I mean, Kyle Busch after the race was furious about it. Obviously, he finished second. Kyle doesn't like losing, and then uh, for obvious reasons, especially going for the 100th win of his own race team in the Truck Series, and then I mean, he made a, a real brief point. In the in the garage after the race, to reporters, he's like, "Well, we ran with race tires and we ended the race due to rain. What do you guys think of that?" And uh, I don't know. I, I can't go over the fact they ran with race tires in the same race and then just ended it. I think personally, my my theory was that it was ended due to the TV window because they needed to get uh, the NHRA qualifying on before midnight. Mm-hmm. And because f- it was on FS1, and then uh, obviously NHRA qualifying was going to be on after the race. It's pre-recorded; they're not running it at midnight. But uh, I think Fox was like, "All right, just cut it here. We're not going all night with this." And then they forced NASCAR into that situation. That's just my theory. It's not fact, but that—that's how it makes the most sense to me. Otherwise, be- it just—I don't get it. Why you don't finish the race with rain tires? I mean, I feel like that could be a possibility. That's, I mean, it's a, a better guess than really most other things. But I mean, taking into account the expenses, like Dale said, that these teams have to put in, you would think that that would also be a consideration, considering that the some of these teams, you know, it's, it's good chunk of money for rain tires and all of that stuff only to run it for part of the race it wasn't even the full race they ran back on slicks for part of it and then just cancel the or call the race after 124 laps so i feel like that i believe that would take into account be taken into account somewhat but it's it's one theory at least I mean that's just that's just how i make the most sense of that you know before we get off this martinsville topic I've been I've been fixing to talk angry for a little while. I've I've been angry, you know, and I have to play the Benny Hill theme behind this because I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant because it's silly, you know. I was on Twitter.com this past weekend, and you know I can't get over the fact there's people that have been that weren't happy with Martinsville as a race. They said it was too clean, right? What? 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 You, everybody, a few weeks ago at Circuit of the Americas in Atlanta, everybody's peeved because the drivers can't race with good standards and then, oh, they can't finish a race clean. What are they doing? You know, oh, this is why the ratings are falling, this and that. And everybody was praising the clean racing at Circuit of the Americas and then all of a sudden, and then they hated the dirty racing at the end, right? And then obviously they go on to Martinsville this weekend and then it's. I'll use a tweet. This is from Jeff Gluck, and he made this passive-aggressively during the race. He says, from 1997 to 2015, 36 of 38 Martinsville races had double-digit cautions. Of those, 16 races had at least 15 cautions. Today, so far, three. Last year's spring race, four. Last year's fall race, six. 
What? So you're complaining now that there's not enough cautions happening in races. And mind you, two of those cautions were due to the stage breaks. So now people are angry that there's not a lot of cautions happening. And then you have people angry. I screenshotted these on Twitter. Uh, people saying, and I quote, Safety concerns since forever. Worst track short races in, in, in recent memory. Inconsistent results at intermediates. Downgrade in super speedway racing. Worsening ratings. Can one say that the next gen may be the worst generation of NASCAR ever? Oh, no. And another one. The Gen 7 isn't looking good. Short track racing, irreparably broken. Road racing, a little worse. Intermediate tracks, hit or miss. Any track, multiple grooves, not good anymore. Almost none of the changes were an upgrade over the Gen 6. Do you people not remember the Gen 6 car? You you know what? I hope NASCAR goes back and puts the NA18D package and brings back the Gen 6 car. Bring back the damn Gen 6 car and then force these people to watch those races again. Because, oh my god, those were bad. Go back and watch any of those races. You know what? Show the replay of them going six wide into turn three at Kansas in 2020. And that's all these people like. Because you know what? Oh my goodness. We need to bring that back. Does anybody not remember not being able to pass the the dang leader at Kansas? Kevin Harvick trailing Joey Logano for like 50 laps at Kansas again in probably the same race. We had to deal with this for years. And we finally get great racing last year. And then everybody magically forgets that this year the racing hasn't really been that different. And then everybody's angry again. I don't get it. And, you know, saying more horsepower, we need more horsepower. You know what? We might talk about that later. I'm not entirely against that. But it seems like everybody has these rose-tinted glasses where, you know, obviously, everybody thinks about 2014. What a great season. What do you, Name five races from 2014 that people remember outside of... Brad Keselowski threading the needle at Chicago Land in the same clip that everybody always plays, and then you have, what, the great racing at Watkins Glen, and then you have cars flying by in the Daytona 500, and people probably like that because Dale Jr. just won that race, and then, what else? I mean, you have Martinsville, kind of, too. Dale Jr. swept at Pocono that year, too. There's also that for the Dale Jr. argument. Yeah, he did that. So Jr. had a good year. People like that. And then, obviously, people can't recite more than five races from 2014 that they like, yet they think it's the greatest season in modern NASCAR history, if you, if you ask most people on social media about it. And then, it's it, it. I don't know. I just It discredits a lot of the opinions in this. What do people want? What do people want? Do you want clean racing? you want dirty racing? Is there a healthy medium? It seems like people want one or the other because ne- they're never happy. And I think it's just impossible for NASCAR to try and think of something. No wonder they have a bajillion changes with the playoffs and this and that. Whatever they implement, it doesn't matter. People are always going to be angry. And, you know, the end of this rant, it's been going on for about four minutes now. I'll close it off nice and neat. What do you people want? What do you want? You want clean racing? Dirty racing, think about what you want from a race, and I think you're going to enjoy it a lot more. It's funny that you mention oh. the... There we fu- go. It's funny That's that it. You, That's the end of the rant. It's funny that you mention the declining rating ar- ratings argument. This was actually the first increase <laughs> in ratings this year <laughs> yeah. for yeah. A, for a uh, Cup Series race. 2.218 million viewers on FS1 and that's from the Saturday Night Race in Martinsville. So it's funny that you mentioned the this is why NASCAR's ratings are declining thing. I, I, I do get the <laughs> not a lot of passing argument because that is one of the things that I noticed with the race as well. But to say it, you know, it wasn't a clean race, uh, it, or it was a clean race and that's why it was bad it's it's foolish yeah i just don't get it people don't know what they want from a race they tune in they're just always angry so you know what with that we're gonna go on to the next topic we need another topic just to stop talking about that you know what i just mentioned it in the rant Let's briefly talk about it, I guess. Do the next-gen cars need more horsepower? Uh, Kevin Harvick said this week uh, he wishes that the cars had a 1,000 horsepower. Denny Hamlin was on Actions Dentrimental uh, this past week saying, you know, these cars cars need more horsepower. The uh, members of the media asked uh, Doug Yates today, excuse me, who head of uh, Yates, Roush Yates Engineering for all the motors, for all the Fords. They asked him today, is it possible to raise the horsepower in these current engines to maybe something akin to 900 as they had in 2014. Clearly, the, some of the drivers want more horsepower. Should that be the case, do you think more horsepower in these cars would be a benefit? Or what do you guys take on that? 
I'm all for it. Put put in the horsepower. I don't know about a thousand. That's a little excessive, but uh, somewhere around eight fifty nine hundred. Sure, yeah, let's do it. Make them slip and slide. I want to listen to those cars scream going mm-hmm. in the corner. You know, I get on YouTube every now and then and listen to to older races back in like oh eight somewhere around that era, even 2012, 2014 and you can just hear those cars screaming going around the track. And um, it's certainly something that I miss. Um, will it fix the racing product? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, I, I do miss them screaming. I I agree with that. I I think that somewhere around there would be, or could be beneficial. Excuse me. I don't know about a thousand horsepower. I, I I don't think we need something like what we saw in Michigan a couple of years ago, where Joey Logano almost hit like what was it, two hundred nineteen miles per hour, but yeah. there still wasn't there still wasn't that much passing and stuff like that. I don't know if we need to go that far, but I feel like it. it raising the horsepower to something akin to that would it, it has a possibility of bettering the racing quality a little bit and the the thing that interested me in the Doug Yates interview is what he said at the end where he said oh we want to lower the horsepower for cost reasons and for more OEMs for more manufacturers to come in a fourth manufacturer but if it was up to if in my opinion I'd rather see an increase in horsepower and, and keep the manufacturers that we have as opposed to having a, a fourth manufacturer and it's never really I, I mean it's never really worked with four manufacturers in recent history I mean when Dodge came back in in 2001 Pontiac was on the way out yep. and when Dodge came back in again in 2012 I mean, it, it sort of worked. Kind of, I mean, Brad Kozlowski won the championship in 2012, but other than that, I mean, eh. I, I'd rather have more horsepower as opposed to having a fourth manufacturer, which I'd, I'd, I I feel like there'd be more benefits to horsepower as opposed to another manufacturer. I mean, there's just... It's not like NASCAR's had any conversations or, like, gotten very far in any talks with any manufacturer in recent years. So, no. <laughs> like, they, they talked... If I recall, with Dodge again, I think last year, and then Dodge again said no, it's not for us yet. So, and even then, if it's Dodge, I mean, just to to say, you know, make a high horsepower engine. I mean, the motors right now are already motors of that caliber. They're just choked down with a tapered spacer and with tuning. Uh, and I don't in the, know. And in the actual. Uh, consumer car world dodge just made uh, another car with about 750 horsepower mm-hmm. or, or something like that it, w- it was uh, another car akin to the hellcat and all of those cars that dodge has been making so in the actual consumer world dodge has been making those cars that are up to that horsepower so it, it can translate into the racing world it's something that dodge has been doing already if they're looking for that yeah i i i agree with you guys where i think the cars need more horsepower if the drivers are just arguing for more horsepower i say give it to them i i think there, it doesn't hurt to test out more horsepower in these next gen cars if anything that might force the drivers to drive even cleaner i mean if they're more on the edge uh they'll be able to drive the cars i guess better and more entertainingly but then again uh these next-gen cars are built like bricks so i mean if you're going what seven seven to fifty horsepower in these current cars if you go up to 900 even a thousand like harvick wants i mean thinking about harvick's opinion here he's gone after this year so he knows that he won't have to deal with that if the horsepower goes back up and he hits a wall but i mean it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt if you're if you have 900 in these cars and you're screaming around a track and then you you know wall up a wall it's going to hurt even more than it currently does and i think that could be the only argument or one of the only arguments nascar might have for keeping the horsepower kind of down in these cars is you know hey guys do you you're going to get more concussed if you hit a wall equally as hard as you have been so far if we put more horsepower back in these things but i think for the entertainment value and if the drivers want it give it to them i i say give it to them and if it doesn't work then you just go back down because this car is going to be here for a long time. So why not try it now? And if it doesn't work, then, you know, send it back down to 750 or do whatever needs to be done. All right. So we'll go on to the next topic. We have a new segment this week. Uh, so this will just be for this week. It won't be an every, you know, every week thing. But I thought it was interesting. We're going to call it laps ahead and laps down. So... I propose to the panel, 
Who is ahead, who's laps ahead this year, driver or team, who is quote-unquote laps ahead or laps down? Basically, who's doing great, who's exceeding expectations, or who is really not meeting expectations right now, who's doing bad, disappointing you? Uh, let's start out. Sean. For laps ahead, I'd, I mentioned him in my thoughts on Martinsville, but... I've been impressed with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I mean, this is a guy who, in the past four seasons, he finished 26th in points last season, 22nd, 24th, 23rd before that. Now he's 13th and 10th in projected playoff standings. And with the ra- with the races he's had, he's finished 8th in Martinsville last week. He was in 4th in the Bristol Dirt Race, and he's always done well there. 7th in Circuit of the Americas. He won Daytona. And I, I had this conversation with you as well, and... It's because he's back. It's partially due to he's back with his crew chief, Mike Kelly, who he won the Xfinity Xfinity Series championship with in 2011 and 2012. Mm -hmm. So with him being back, I feel like it's I believe it's it's gotten a resurgence back in Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Because from the beginning of his Cup Series run, he's been a guy who's been a consistent top 20 driver. He's had top 10s here and there, but it's it, it's been a noticeable increase and I'm excited to see how he will do in Talladega next week as well because he's 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 done well in Talladega uh, in the past as well and laps down it's been a slight a, a slight decrease but the first guy I think of who's had a slightly rough start compared to last year especially with the promise that he showed at the end Daniel Suarez he was in 10th in points last year finished 10th in points and he was consistently around the top 20 by the end but in these past couple of weeks he hasn't really finished higher than 22nd especially between Bristol and and these past couple weeks it's been only a slight decline and it, it hasn't been really anything major but he's really the first guy I think of who's ran a full season really showed promise at the end that has had any sort of decline that I've really noticed in that sense it's also important to know he got hit with that penalty too that too yeah, yeah that hurt yeah uh, for me laps ahead uh, definitely with all the talk surrounding Stuart Haas racing I look at Kevin Harvick he's third in points he's the closer he's silently consistent just staying up there third in points you know with all the talks around Stuart Haas between Briscoe Almarola and Priest, who I'll get into in just a moment um, yeah, Harvick is definitely the head of that team for sure, and in my opinion, laps ahead as regards to his teammates. Also look at Reddick after the disappointing start he had to his year. He now sits sixth in points and won Coda and has been up front at Bristol Dirt and, you know, just, just been in the mix these last few weeks. And, of course, Bell, the points leader, you know, hottest guy at JGR, I, I think so, being the points leader and everything. Uh, those are my three for laps ahead. And then laps down, as I mentioned, Almarola and Priest being 27th and 28th in points. Ouch. Especially, you know, we all had, well, I don't know if we all had, but some of us, including myself, had high expectations for Priest coming into the year. Um, maybe Cole Custer wasn't so bad after all. Yeah. Um, and then we, we can't mention this segment and not talk about legacy. Yeah. Yeah, there's no escaping that. Yeah. 29th and 31st in points for Jones and Gregson, respectively. Ah, uh, I don't know. It, that, that's, a, that's a wreck. I'll let you take it from there, Ben. I know you wanted to say that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> legacy so far this year has been so disappointing with uh, the new ownership group. I mean, you, you bring in Jimmy Johnson into that ownership group you add a lot of momentum behind the scenes uh complete you know complete rebrand of the team uh to almost a a soft reboot almost like a track house like deal um even down to the nickname of it where it's like the house the club um they have put all this new energy behind the team and it has translated into absolutely nothing it's generated no little little to no sponsorship i mean this this week i believe is the first week since daytona that both legacy cars actually have sponsors on the car that are not funded by maury gallagher himself where the air force is on the 43 and wendy's is on the 42 and at daytona it was guns and roses on the 43 and uh wendy's again on the 42 so this is the first weekend since daytona in february that allegiant airlines or 
whatever the Sunseeker Sun, Sun Rentals or whatever isn't on the 42. And both of those are owned by Maury Gallagher. So he's been funding a lot of races out of his own pocket. And this whole rebrand and everything is not translated into any sponsorship. And I'm sure the, the, po- the performance, the poor performance is not helping anything. I mean, what? They finished like, I think, 30th and 31st on Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's brutal. And that's with two drivers that Eric Jones is not bad at short track racing at all i mean no slouch anywhere he won the snowball derby i mean like he's Mm -hmm. i believe right yeah so he's regularly races in his late mod at at short tracks and he's no slouch anywhere Um, but i mean he he cut his teeth short track racing so he's not bad at it and then you have noah gragson who's won at martinsville multiple times in the lower series so there's no reason with the driving talent that legacy has that it should be running this bad and yet it just has not met expectations at all. The cars have just seemed very slow. They don't even have pace in qualifying. And it must feel like it's such a hopeless situation for Eric Jones and Noah Gregson, knowing that it's not... Maybe, I'm sure, a little bit of Gregson's inexperience is probably playing into it. But, I mean, on the Jones angle, this was a car that was on the... You know, just the edge of competing in the playoffs last year and won a race at Darlington. I'm fascinated to see how this team runs at Darlington in two weeks because if that, if, if the 43 is nowhere near the top 20 yet again, then it's, then it's not the drivers. It's got to be the equipment, it's got to be the team. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I guess for uh, Dale, you have anything else? They also fired their, well, I- I don't know if they fired, but they let go or the chief marketing officer left. Yes. We're, what, eight weeks into the year? He <laughs> just got here. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Something, Something's amiss with the team, for sure. The cars are mirroring each other, you know, like you touched on Gregson's inexperience, but Jones has been here for a while. Many years. Yes, many years. The cars are mirroring each other. It's I, I truly think that it's the equipment. And I, I don't even... I don't even know how it would be the equipment either, where it's just like there's no excuse almost how those cars are that far off. Um, where, I mean, it's not like the, even the, I guess you could even think the truck team too hasn't been really doing too hot, but then that could be attributed to outside of Enfinger. You know, you have Raja, who's a rookie, and then you have Daniel Dye, who's also a rookie. Uh-huh. Uh, neither of them have been doing really that hot. I mean, out of anybody, like Raja, I think, has had the highest finishes of the three. Enfinger has been surprisingly, surprisingly, like, nowhere this year. I mean, he's really run, like, 13th in every single race. It's not bad. He's but sixth in points, though. Yeah, it's, he's consistent, but it's just like he hasn't really challenged for any wins. Um, yeah, he... Uh, Timmy Hill is above Daniel Dye in points. Yeah, I'll let I'll let the listeners take that one in. Uh, <laughs> Chris, R- Chris Wright is also above Daniel Dye. Ooh, wow! <laughs> Colby Howard is also above Daniel. Well, Colby, Dye. listen, Colby's got talent. Yeah, but the car isn't there. That uh, you know, ro- well, listen, Enfinger was pushing the Robaw stuff. What, ro- Cody Robaw, West Virginia native. Yes. Yeah, we gotta point that out. Uh, you know, that team that team isn't the slowest. But then again, the fact that. I'm not saying they're the slowest, but they definitely don't have the funds that those Yo, cars Yeah, have. no. They don't have near the funds of a, of a GMS racing truck, yeah. which is the same team as Legacy. It's the same ownership group for anybody at home that didn't know. Um, I guess for mine, for mine, uh, I guess laps ahead, I got to give an, an attaboy to my boy Todd Gilliland. I, I think Todd has been not... You know, it wasn't the sharpest start to the season. It looked like more of the same. But Todd, as an added bonus, uh, is going to be missing multiple races in the 38 car this year, which he ran full-time last year. He's going to run full-time this year in Cup, thanks to some extra races picked up by Rick Ware, and then uh, Front Row's running a third car for him at uh, Talladega this weekend. But before the season, it was very shockingly announced that Zane Smith was going to be taking, what, like five, six races from him? I think it was eight. Eight? I mean, it was a decent number of races out of his schedule in the 38 and just kind of blindsided him. And, you know, Bob Jenkins, owner of Front Row, wants to keep his, you know, championship-winning talent in Zane Smith around. So why not get him some reps in Cup? Uh, but it was at the, expects, at the expense, excuse me, of Todd Gilliland and uh, his full-time schedule and then Todd 
after Phoenix and the Rick Ware car's first race, uh, he finished 32nd there. But I mean, at that point in the season, had one top 17 finish at California. Since that point, since that point, the last five weeks, I guess before Martinsville, four races in the top 15, two top 10s. He finished no worse than 15th, 15th at Atlanta, 15th at Richmond. Richmond was more of a strategy race, but probably would have finished higher if he wasn't the second car there on that tire strategy. His teammate finished, McDowell finished top 10. During that time span, he's actually outrun McDowell. And even further than that, he's outrun McDowell and then this season in head-to-head. And then at Martinsville was the, I guess the even though he didn't get the finish he deserved, Martinsville was the piece de resistance and all that. He ran as high as second. He, 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 it was fair. It was due to tire strategy. But he passed two cars. He had no business passing to go from, or three cars at that off the restart. I think he restarted like fifth and then passed three cars to get to second place. And it, held it for a good number of And laps. was chasing down... Uh, was it Priest or at that point was it Larson or who was it at that point in the race? But he was, was running Larson. down. He was running down the leader. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the two tire strategy kind of caught up with him a little bit. But even then, before he lost the cylinder late in the race, Todd Gilland was running in the top ten, top fifteen to start out. But really, the top ten, the majority of the day in the thirty-eight card, McDowell was nowhere all race until the topsy-turvy pit situation when Alfredo lost his wheel and everything went on its head. Uh, McDowell then got put back in the top 10 and then proceeded to drop to the field again. Gilliland, the last five weeks, has been very, very impressive, and you can feel the pressure setting in that he wants to impress to have a job in the Cup Series next year, not necessarily with front row, but you know, it's really caught my eye that uh, he's been running fairly well in the equipment that he has compared to last year. I mean, he had all year last year uh, two top tens. It was a seventh at Talladega and a fourth at the Indy Road Course. And then, you know, in the last four weeks, last five weeks have really been night and day. Two top tens at at Bristol Dirt, which is a track that is driver-based, driver-skill-based, and then Circuit of the Americas, which is really tough. Going, I mean, it was a lot of chaos, to be fair, but ran fairly well there, too. I think Todd Gilland has been fairly impressive so far this season. I'm interested to see if that performance continues. And at this point in the season last year, all he had was just four top 20 finishes, and that, yeah. was, and that was it. He's learning quickly, and there's progression there. Unlike, who I'm going to say, for uh, laps down in better equipment, Harrison Burton. Oh, no. My goodness, Harrison. <laughs> year two. Yeah, year two here, and Harrison has had a miserable go at it this year. And, you know, everybody kind of expects a driver in Penske equipment. Wood Brothers Racing is Penske equipment. Sure, it's a quote-unquote satellite team. But those cars are, are, for the most part, prepped in the Penske shop. And if not, I mean, they're sharing notes with Penske. They're Penske cars. It's mm-hmm. Penske equipment, and they're basically you know attached at the hip harrison's in his second year didn't really run that well last year finished 27th in points had two top tens all year in a penske car and uh this year everybody was kind of expecting you know harrison kind of needed to take that leap Uh, especially you know second year driver obviously young talent people believe you know burton name too uh showed a lot of promise in xfinity and this season has just been dreadful two two top 15s all year again in a penske car um and those two top 15s were 15s at california and the bristol dirt race and then outside of that one other top 20 with a 19th at Richmond. Everything else has been just dreadful. He finished 29th at Martinsville. I mean, he's just been getting pushed around, it seems. I mean, confidence, Dale, would you agree with this? Confidence matters a lot to a driver in the seat of a car, obviously, and then uh, it just seems like Harrison doesn't really have any confidence. He doesn't have anything going for him, and it's just translating into bad run after bad run. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have confidence in yourself, you ain't gonna go fast. Mm Mm-hmm. It's part of it. I mean, if if anything, I mean, just the it's a fascinating head to head between him and Gilliland, where they're they're really good friends off the track. They're like best friends, and then you have Gilliland 
outrunning him this season in a in a front row in the second front row car. And then you have Harrison Burton in the 21. He hasn't done anything this year. And I, when you look at the side-by-side on, on their season performances, it, they're both sort of similar, where both had top five finishes at the Indy Road Course at this point in the season last year. Both of them just had a couple of top 20 finishes, and that was it. Mm-hmm. They both sort of started off at, at the same position this year, just in better and worse equipment. Uh, and... Things have just sort of flip-flopped from that. I mean, it's just... I, I just can't get over the fact that Todd is running... You know, it's not like front row is horrible equipment, but considering the circumstances, how front row almost kind of wants him to fail uh, to give it an excuse to fire him to put Zane Smith in the seat, I mean, he is outrunning his expectations. And then you have Harrison Burton, who, in a Penske car, where his three teammates, I would argue are running outrunning him very much even ryan blaney who's been a little disappointing this season has still been at least competitive in the slightest at certain races and uh logano obviously and then cindrick you know sophomore slump a little bit but at least the the two car hasn't been that dreadful either so harrison has just been very disappointed in, in in the 21 car and he needs to take that leap by the end of the year or else I don't know how long if he's going to be in that 21 car for a third year. And what, I, I don't think Wood Brothers can... I don't think they can afford it, even with the Dex imaging money. And when you look at what De Benedetto did in that same car in 2020 and 2021, it's a noticeable difference where De Benedetto was consistently in the top 15 and had a, a, a few more top five finishes and more top tens as well. He did considerably better in that exact same equipment the year, uh, the year before, or two years before. All right, good topic and good talk. We'll go on to the next topic here. Uh, this week, Colleg Racing, or, or last week, Colleg Racing was was it last week, two weeks ago? Whether it was in the last two weeks, Colleg Racing was uh, penalized for the same thing that Hendrick was, where it was it was the massive points penalty and everything, and uh, it was through the same panel, Colleg ended up receiving the penalty, the points penalty, that is, that Hendrick did not. The penalty was upheld. And then this week, NASCAR itself made the executive decision to take away the points penalty from the penalty to equal it with the Hendrick Motorsports penalty that the appeals panel ended up giving Hendrick. I wanted to ask you guys, did NASCAR make the right move here, or should it have kept the monetary fine with the colleague racing team as to still send some kind of a message to the teams? I think NASCAR made the right move. It's interesting timing considering after this was all, after all of the backlash, after all the Hendrick stuff, and it, it really only came after that. But nonetheless, I still think it's the right move. I mean, we were saying about two weeks ago, uh, the our entire conversation back then was either both of them should have gotten the same sort of punishment or, you, you know, you, you can't have one and then the other punishment. You have to have both of them equal and that's exactly what nascar's done here and i i i i believe it's 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 the right move i agree um i mean they're making it they should have done it the first time around when they gave hendrick back their points as well that's i i agree yeah um they you know they made it even i believe so i think it's the right move i agree with sean now justin haley 24th in points yeah, I mean that puts Haley right back into it, into the thick of things, and you know I'm I agree. I think that was a a good move by NASCAR, where I think everybody in the in the industry thought it was unfair, even though people still think there there's still an air of of guilt. People think that Hendrick still almost did it on purpose. Whether that it's a subjective situation, you know whether Hendrick was guilty or not. The ultimate ruling was that it was but wasn't so uh a tough situation but i think it was courteous of nascar to give the points back to colleague to try and make things even and then not take one the smaller team out of things and then have the bigger team i guess come out on top of the situation uh i think it was a good move it was fair and i'm pretty sure the teams have gotten the message and then this will lead straight into our next topic As it was announced yesterday by Bob Pockris that NASCAR is apparently not randomly taking cars after a race to R&D anymore, as its policy used to be two cars at random, 
Now, it can apparently take as many cars as it wants and whomever it wants back to R&D after a race weekend. Do you guys think, is this fair, or should the race teams take issue with this? That's certainly interesting. I didn't know about this before you sent it to me. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know about this. I, I think at this point they're fishing for it, mm-hmm. especially after the Austin Dillon penalty today that got announced. And with all the Hendrick controversy, yes. I, I think that you know they're upset and they want to find anything they possibly can on these cars to send a message. Um, and you know, what better way to make up the potential lost revenue that you have from the RTA negotiations than to take it back from the race teams? <laughs> yeah, I I think if NASCAR is going to take the zero tolerance policy that it's had since well that it's announced basically since last year of hey don't mess with the parts this is probably the best way for them to go about doing that as opposed to just picking two cars at random and additionally it also may or may not uh quell the the whole theories of oh nascar's picking hendrick because they hate him or or whatever after you know picking these picking two cars at random sort of deals but overall i i would say it's as fair as possible if if nascar is going for this whole zero tolerance policy that it's leaning towards nowadays i i think it's uh i think it's as you said as you both said very interesting sean i agree with the point where you said it makes things more i guess fair where it 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 won't seem as if nascar is just picking on uh, it's not just picking on Hendrick if it keeps on taking Hendrick cars back where now it can say oh we can take as many cars back as we want to R&D they can take the whole field back <laughs> they can that's a new rule <laughs> yeah. they can take the whole field back to R&D if it wants to if NASCAR wants to it can take the whole field back and then tear apart every car and then somebody it's going to find something Riley you know? Herbst is going to win Talladega because <laughs> <of it. laughs> uh, they uh, I think it's fascinating and I mean NASCAR is it's unbelievable to see the shock waves that the Hendrick penalty being rescinded in the way that it did it's so funny and amazing to see the shockwaves from that the ripple effect where now we're at this point where nascar has given itself more totalitarian power where it was trying to be courteous to the teams of oh, we'll take two cars at random uh, you know we'll try and be fair with it we won't pick on anybody but now now nascar is like we don't care. We're taking whoever we want. You think we think you were cheating? You know, we thought that yeah, the car looked a little low out there. We're taking your car back. I and you mentioned the the shockwaves thing. It, it it sort of makes me think of a, a NASCAR's thinking as well. We tried to give other people the power to you know not have the power in our hands, and this is what happened with. You know, Hendrick versus colleague, and and those penalties being the way that they were. Now we have to step in. So that it's 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 interesting in that in that aspect. One more quick question here before the close of the show. So Chase Briscoe drove through a broken finger the last two weekends before having surgery on it this week. If you're Stuart Haas Racing, do you consider taking Briscoe out of the seat for this weekend and asking for a medical waiver just in case to avoid him potentially injuring the finger any further? Or do you think Briscoe should stay in the seat, tough it out, and then, I guess, risk it with the surgically repaired finger? I'm going to give it to Dale here, who's the driver. Don't, don't take him out of the car. If the doc clears him and the boy wants to race put him in the car you know uh we all they all assume risk by climbing in a car you know and and if something were to happen with that finger i think that they would just uh accept that and you know it's talladega anything can happen so i i don't think they need to take him out of the car i mean my initial thought was to uh, was to play it on the safe side with as sort of the same with any other sort of rehab stint in other sports as well but i mean you also sort of alluded to that i mean briscoe also had top five finishes with the broken finger and that was impressive to see as well so if his surgery is cleared which it is his surgery is cleared the finger is repaired and if he wants to race then i mean hey why not if if that's if that's how it is usually i'd go on the safer side but put him in the car yeah (laughs) 
You know, Sean, you brought up an, inter- an interesting point. Two top fives with a broken finger. You know, if I'm Tony Stewart, considering how the 14 car started the season, maybe just keep the finger broken. Just keep on breaking the finger. Just keep <laughs> like, all right, Chase, it's time for the hammer. Come Chase on, Briscoe back in the an, shop. Chase Briscoe did have an interesting comment under under a post about his surgery being cleared. He said, hey, if I'm... <laughs> If I'm uh, gonna go back down, I, I have to break another finger to start back all over again. Basically, it's like the scene from Casino where they drag the guy in the back room and they're gonna saw off his hand. You know, it's like Tony Stewart, and then you have like Johnny Clausmeyer, and then I don't know who else bringing Chase Briscoe back in the room. And he's like, no, no, and then they start. They're like, it's got, it's time. Sorry, we gotta break the finger again, Chase. You're the driver of the 14 car. You must be injured. You gotta be. <laughs> All right, we're going to close it on that. Thank you guys for coming on. Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, it's always a pleasure having you guys on the show. Thank you for having us. Always a pleasure. All right, that's going to do it for Speed Zone tonight. Thank you for tuning in. It's always a busy show. Always wonderful. We'll be back next weekend. It's se- or not next weekend. Next week, 7 p.m. Uh, with another jam-packed show. It's finals week for us here at Marshall. So who's on the show? We don't know. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is a racing show. I'm a Bruins fan. Go Bruins. Until next time, trades of paint, drop the hammer. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.